Should Christians actively engage in politics? Should we submit to our boss's demands if it means sacrificing time with our home groups or families? Does Jesus really expect us to submit to authority the way that he did? These and other questions like them will be discussed this episode. Welcome to Deeper, a podcast by Wollongong Baptist Church. Join us as we take the plunge and dive deeper into God's Word, the Bible. Here, we'll unpack and examine further the Bible talks presented on Sundays across our three English-speaking services. Today, we'll be thinking through more from our latest instalment in our series on the book of 1 Peter, as we consider what it means to be living as Christians now in light of our eternity with Christ. So, let's get right into it and dive deeper. Well, welcome back everybody to another episode of Deeper. My name is Grace Jones and thank you so much for tuning in once again. We are looking at 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 11 through to 25, um, which was preached on Sunday the 10th of November by our intern Chris Rothwell. Um, Joining me today, however, is actually an all-in of all of our pastors who are going to be answering the questions for today. So if you haven't actually heard the talk, then you can go back and have a listen to that as usual on our website, wollongongbaptist.org. But just to give you a rough idea of where we headed on the weekend, um, the big question that was being asked was, how can we live a godly life in the face of hostility? Um, And it was really the passage was talking about that in the context of authority and submitting to authority. Uh, And Chris offered for us a number of answers to that question of how do we live um, a godly life in the face of hostility? And he said that uh, we do that by abstaining from sinful desires, uh, by obeying the law and submitting to every human authority. Um, by living as God's slaves um, and by submitting to our masters. Uh, And then he kind of came to this baseline conclusion that the reason that we do all that is because Jesus did. Um, And so that's kind of a very crude summary of of the passage and of Chris's talk on the weekend. Um, But now we're going to turn to some questions that kind of unpack those principles a little bit more um, and think through what it really means to actually be submitting to authority, particularly in um, hostile environments. So we have all three of the pastors here with us. And Ken, I'm going to start with you. Um, The first question is, the passage talks about us obeying authority for the Lord's sake, uh, which was then explained as being for the benefit of Jesus. Um, But how are our actions um, beneficial to Jesus? Isn't it that his actions are of benefit to us? Yeah, I think with this question, we have to recognize that there's a, a number of levels of authority that are going on here. We're submitting to worldly authorities. But as we're doing that, we're recognizing that over the top of them is Jesus as the ultimate authority. And so when we're submitting to the worldly authorities, we're not doing it because they're the ultimate. We're doing we're submitting to them in terms of they've been established in their roles by Jesus. And therefore, as we obey the earthly master, uh, the earthly emperor, the masters, we're actually doing that not just to honor them, but to honor Jesus. And so when it talks about the whole concept of for the Lord's sake, uh, I don't think it's the, uh, the idea that as I obey this person, Jesus somehow gets a, a benefit out of it. He gets something credited to his account. Uh, what it's showing is that we're doing this not because 
this particular person has authority over me. I'm doing it out of my submission to Jesus. Uh, and so a lot of the passage right back from chapter one and much of chapter two has been talking about things being done for the glory of Jesus. And so the reason that we're living a particular way is so that ultimately Jesus will be glorified. And this is an example of how that plays out in our lives as we're doing these things, as we're submitting to these earthly authorities. Um, ultimately, that will bring glory to Jesus. Uh, Rod, next question is for you. Um, and I guess it's just starting to try and think through the practicalities of what the principles in this passage actually look like. So uh, the question is, to what extent should Christians actively engage in politics? Uh, for example, should we be participating in rallies and protests against things like abortion? Yeah, I think we've got great privileges in a democratic country like Australia. Um, we're given the freedom to lobby and to protest. And so we really should take advantage of those opportunities when ethical concerns warrant it. Um, the recent changes to the abortion law in New South Wales saw you know, thousands of Christians um, part of a big rally in Sydney, uh, lots of them uh, writing to their MPs uh, to express their concerns, to try and lobby them, uh, to consider voting against some of the measures or to ameliorate the uh, the bill as it stood. And um, personally, I encouraged um, people in our church to do that and through Facebook uh, to write to their MPs at least. And I know Christians take different views on this. Somebody, some really like to get involved in lobbying and protesting and are very strident about um, that. Others feel like they really want to step back from that and um, they're concerned and they'll be prayerful, but they don't want to engage as thoroughly. Uh, these things come down to you know, our own conscience and it's not something we can sort of um, standardize for every believer. I think we need to respond as we see fit, but I think we need to see the wonderful opportunities we've been given in our democratic system. Having said that, we, we have to acknowledge that God is sovereign and so sometimes we can feel like these human mechanisms are the only way that we can enforce God's you know, standards on our society is if we can control how things unfold and certainly we can't and we need to be prayerful and we need to acknowledge that even if we've lobbied or gone to rallies that um, God's will will be done and sometimes um, he allows things to go forward that are not in our minds beneficial that are contrary to his word and the recent abortion bill is an example of that it's quite uh, liberal in its uh, view allowing for abortions right up to term with a couple of doctors signing off so you know that's frustrating on one hand for christians but we need to trust that god has still been at work and there were christian mps that stood up quite strongly to see four or five really helpful amendments go through uh, that made a big difference um, to that law it could have been far worse so we need to be thankful for that as well i would add on that front that um, sometimes when people think about engaging in politics they think about joining a political party or actually becoming an mp themselves to influence uh, the situation more Look, we need Christian politicians. It's great that there are Christians in Parliament. Having said that, um, being involved in the political process at that level, rather than just being a lobbyer from the outside, as it were, uh, brings with it a lot, a lot of difficulties and a lot more opportunity to be compromised in your faith because you have to adhere to a party line on things. And so it can get quite difficult. And for those... Um, yeah, MPs that really stood up as Christians on the abortion law, they found that difficult because their parties were not encouraging them in what they were doing and they found themselves isolated. 
So um, the political process is full of, you know, human sinfulness and corruption as well. And so we need to acknowledge all of those things, but be thankful that we do have a system um, that we can engage in. And as Christians, we need to express our viewpoint, uh, whether it's fully received or not, is in God's hands. Uh, well, Mark, um, as we kind of wrestle with what it looks like to submit to authority, I'm just wondering if you could um share with us maybe what this might look like more on the home front um, or in our work lives. Uh, Should Christians always stay late at work if their boss tells them to, even if that means missing things like home group or neglecting time with family? Yeah, this is sort of where the rubber hits the road for, I think, a lot of us as we wrestle with this passage. Um, I think the reality in the lives of a lot of workers uh, in Australia this age, uh, in this um, current age, is that our workplaces and our bosses are expecting more of us um, than uh, it, perhaps they ever have in the past historically. Uh, and so, yeah, I want to acknowledge that this is a real tension. I know there are plenty of people in our church who are wrestling with this kind of currently. Um, so what do you do when your boss uh, expects over time? Does 1 Peter 2 compel us to comply with that request? My answer would be, I don't think so. I don't think... Uh, in every circumstance, we just automatically um, fulfill every request of our boss, um, especially with this particular example of sort of doing overtime, missing out on other things at the expense of being committed to your work. And that's because I don't think that the relationship that uh, most of us have with our bosses in our workplaces is the equivalent of the slave-master relationship that's being described in 1 Peter 2. Um Slaves in uh, that society at that time, um, the the kind of level of authority and oversight that a master had over their slave was much more complete. It was sort of the whole domain of their life. They were kind of a de facto part of the family almost, albeit at a sort of a, a secondary tier of um, uh, kind of recognition. Uh, and so a, a master could kind of really give... Um, direction to a slave in almost every part of their life. That's just not the case with uh, modern workplaces and uh, employment contracts and things like that. So I would say, I think what 1 Peter 2 is pushing us towards is wherever possible, uh, we should try and comply with the requests of our bosses and our managers insofar as their requests lie within kind of the legitimate sphere of their authority. So put flesh on that example. If your boss tells you how he wants you to spend your Saturday, I would say for most people, that's going to be outside of the boss's legitimate authority. And you can say to them, thanks for that suggestion, but I think I'll choose to go to the beach instead or whatever. Um, But if the boss tells you, no, I want you to format your report this way instead, well, that's totally within their authority and we ought to comply with that request. And so... How that then looks for each individual, you kind of have to work it out on a case-by-case basis, I think. Um, In the instance of like doing overtime and putting in extra commitment, extra hours to a job, there are some jobs where that's actually kind of par for the course. That's part of the territory. That's what being a nurse might look like, for example, is that you go, you sign your employment contract with the expectation that there are going to be times when without much notice, you get called back in or you get asked to work an extra half shift or whatever it might be. I think Christians in that circumstance should, as much as they're able to, comply with the requests of their managers for the purposes that Peter lists here, that 
our conduct in the workplace might be a reflection on the God we serve and that those managers might see something starkly different in the lives of Christians than uh, the non-Christian employees. Uh, but there are limits to that, aren't there? So like not, not every workplace uh, would, uh, it would be appropriate to say yes to overtime uh, constantly, especially if it's at the expense of uh, loving your family well or being a part of a home group and that sort of thing. And so I would encourage Christians in our church who are maybe brushing up against this to consider is their commitment to their workplace um, coming at the expense of other God-given responsibilities in their life? Um, because the, it shouldn't be that our willingness to submit to our manager and to please them and to do all that they ask of us uh, it comes consistently at the expense of those God-given responsibilities as well. We've got to manage them and balance them as best we can. Um, well, the passage was encouraging us to be submitting to authority, um, essentially because Jesus did. And so um, I guess my next question, Ken, is does Jesus really expect us to roll over in the face of injustice and oppression the way that he did? Um, this seems like a really tall and quite frankly, an unrealistic ask. Surely there needs to be more disclaimers around this call to submission. Um, Jesus suffered emotional, psychological, mental, physical abuse. Are we really just to endure that too? That's an interesting reaction because I think that is my immediate reaction as well is I want to put boundaries around this and say, where are the limitations to this? Where can I excuse myself from going that far? And I think that our immediate reaction shows where our hearts are and that we don't want this to apply to us and we want to get out of the implications of it. Um, but I don't think that we can read it the other way and say that here's a blanket statement of Peter. Uh, Peter himself, if we read through the book of Acts, uh, he's been on the receiving end of this. He's in some cases been brought to trial uh, and the church is praying for him. Brings about his God brings about his freedom miraculously. Uh, and if he was supposed to just suck it up and oh well that's the way it is case sera sera um, then the church wouldn't have been praying for him and the outcome would have been his immediate death but the reality is is that yes there's an injustice going on here let's entrust it to god uh, and see good things come out of the situation i think the danger for us is to assume that our lives going well for us being comfortable is what god definitely wants for us in every situation and therefore my my desire is that in this situation, well, this one is one of those excuses where I get to not submit. Um, I think that we should try and turn the question around and ask, how far can I go in submitting to authorities here? Uh, are they asking me something that's illegal? Are they asking me something that's completely ungodly? Okay, they're clearly outside of the boundaries, but are they just asking something of me that's uncomfortable? And on this, I'm going to forego my rights so that they'll see that I, I, I'm an alien here. I'm not responding the way that all the other employees are. I'm not responding the way that other people do. What's different about me? Oh, that's because he's a follower of Jesus. There's, there's clearly an intent in the actions to be speaking a word that's beyond just words as these things are enacted out and people can actually observe them with their eyes it has some stronger uh, ability to get past the barriers. Uh, and so I think that uh, we should be actually asking the question, well, how far can I go in submitting in this situation? 
I don't think it is the requirement to therefore submit to every case of emotional, psychological, mental and physical abuse. Um, It's clearly not saying you need to be doormats and anyone who has any desires, they can just come in and take whatever they want from you. But there will be cases where we will be willing to be mistreated uh, for the sake of Jesus. Um, Well, what do you think, Mark, of this? Um, What do you think would be, I guess, a godly or wise choice of using or growing cannabis to treat a medical illness that isn't responding to prescription medication? Um, So there's a big ethical question here. Would it be wrong as it's not obeying the law Um, or okay because we have been given wisdom and responsibility to maintain health and to look after our bodies as best we can? Yeah, so I suppose this is a question that's testing the limits of that uh, call from Peter there to submit to authorities um, and to obey the rules, the laws of the land that we're living in. Um, it's a tricky kind of example, and um, I kind of want to try and tease it out a little bit. Um, I suppose uh, the first thing just to be clear about is kind of it, for us to answer this question, we will look different potentially to answering this question at a different point in history or in a different culture because of the laws of Australia at the moment. I'm not an expert by any means on the uh, regulations around growing and using cannabis, marijuana um, in Australia. But my understanding currently is that it is illegal to be growing marijuana. Um, uh, using marijuana, I think, is a little bit of a grayer area. Certainly distribution and resale and that sort of thing is also illegal. Uh, so uh, acknowledging that that's not my area of expertise, uh, <laughs> what let, let's, let's proceed on the, the hypothetical that this person is asking. If I was to be growing and then using marijuana in a way which is explicitly illegal according to the laws of the land is that justifiable given some of these other circumstances about uh, health issues that require seemingly uh, medical marijuana for pain relief or whatnot Um, and given perhaps what God says about taking care of ourselves and our bodies is that also justification for this I guess I would want to say we we have to be really really careful in thinking about these kind of questions Um, Partly, I think, because of what Peter says in here in, in verse 16, where he tells us to live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, to live as God's slaves. There, there can be, I think what Peter is speaking to there is this kind of um, self-justification that we fall into very easily, where we say, well, I answer to God, God's my boss, uh, and so I'm going to choose to do something that I know is wrong or that that is is explicitly illegal in my country, for instance. Uh, but I'm going to do it because I'm I'm obeying higher authority. And Peter, I think the warning there is to be very careful about justifying yourself that way. And that goes that, that sort of fits with what the rest of Scripture warns about the kind of self deception. Jeremiah talks about the heart being uh, deceitful above all things. Um, and so it, it is very easy for, for Christians to say, well, look, there's a perfectly legitimate reason for me to be using illegal drugs, <laughs> and here it is. And so uh, it, I would encourage whoever's asking this question to do a bit of self-reflection and to think uh, whether there is some self-justification kind of going on there. Um, another thing to consider in this is uh, does what God tells us about taking care of our bodies, does that trump, uh, you know, obeying that? that command from god does that trump the law of the land you know am i am i serving a higher authority by doing what i need to do to have this medical treatment um 
and, and is that honoring to God? Um, I think I would say that I don't, I don't think that um, taking care of ourselves and seeking our own health and well-being is actually the primary thing God tells us to do with our bodies. I think the primary category in Scripture for how we ought to think about our bodies is that now in Christ, they're temples of the Holy Spirit. We're to do nothing to dishonor that or um, to um, uh, sully our temple, if I can use that kind of word. Um, and instead, we're to think about how do we use our body as best we can to serve the Lord. And so in 1 Timothy 4, uh, we're told that physical training is of some benefit, i.e. being in good health, being fit, having a fully capable body. It's of some benefit, but actually godliness is of greater benefit and holds benefit for this age and for the age to come. And so I think the the perspective of this question of uh, can I can I do something that's um, kind of illegal for the sake of maintaining my health, I think that's actually prioritizing your health over godliness. And so our greater priority ought to be how do I honor the Lord how do I obey him? How do I live righteously in this age? Um, and if that's at the expense of my body, well, then I need to be willing to kind of wear that cost. Now, look, I can only sort of talk in very broad brushstrokes because the particulars of, of a circumstance of somebody's illness and whatnot, uh, you know, there's lots of other factors to take into consideration. But those would be some of the things that I would be uh, trying to think through uh, in, in trying to apply this to that circumstance. Uh, well, Ron, this is our last question for today. I'm wondering if you can help us um, reconcile the message from this week's talk with the parable of the shrewd manager, which is in Luke chapter 16. So maybe firstly, can you tell us what that parable is and then um, help us kind of reconcile that passage with this week's one? Sure. So uh, Luke 16 um, is a parable, so it's not... Um you know, direct teaching by Jesus about how to deal with uh, life or workplace relations in particular or um, submission to our boss or authority. Um, it's a passage um, which on the surface perhaps could be read as condoning sharp work practices where you're effectively ripping off your boss. The story of the shrewd manager is he's about to be sacked because he's mismanaging the resources of his employer his employer has found this out, is going to remove him. And before he does so, he then sort of halves all the bills of his boss's clients so that they'll welcome him when he gets dumped from his job and he'll have friends in the town. Um, so there's nothing particularly godly about what's being done by the shrewd manager. He's stealing from his boss, effectively. It's sinful, ungodly actions. The problem is when you read it, um, the the boss actually commends him after he discovers that he's done this and halved all the bills of his debtors as but he doesn't commend him because he's dishonest he commends him because he's shrewd so there's a difference and so the point that jesus is trying to make through this sort of strange story that um seems to be you know sinful actions is to say that a lot of the people in the world are more shrewd or better stewards of money are good at looking ahead in ways that believers perhaps sometimes are not. Uh, he's being commended for his shrewdness of thinking about his need. But really the bigger picture as you get towards the end of the parable is that Jesus is asking believers to be storing up riches in heaven by using the resources that God blesses with them, blesses them with, being good stewards of what they have to serve the needs of others. 
Um, they look to look eternally. So they're not actually looking to gain money or wealth or to mistreat their employers. And so it actually ends in verse 13 with Jesus getting to the punchline of saying, you can't serve money and God. Um, so there's a great danger in thinking that uh, this passage in Luke 16 is saying you can steal from your boss, you can do whatever at work, if that helps you get ahead and make money, that would be the complete opposite to what Jesus is actually instructing readers. And I, I guess the link between the two passages is you might read Luke 16 and think, oh, there's a freedom here to not follow the boss, to even steal from him or do stuff, and somehow that's commendable. Whereas in 1 Peter 2, it's all about submission and seems all hard work. So here's all this freedom. So it comes back to this question we've been looking at in really every question. Where are the, the lines? You know, I'm wanting to get out from under this submission. Maybe I've got more freedom than I think. Maybe Luke 16 is giving me a green light to sort of respond however I like to my employer to do how I feel. Um, that's just worldly thinking in the end, um, really. If our motivation is self-serving, whether it's collecting wealth or just being um, yeah, somebody who's not um, sitting under the authority that God's placed over us, for no good reason other than just to pursue my own ends, then that's not a Christian response. Um, so I think we need to see Luke 16 as not um, sort of ameliorating anything that's said in 1 Peter 2. We are called to submit to whatever authorities God's placed over us. He's put them in place. Yes, there can be limits to that authority when, for example, they're causing us to threaten life, like the midwives in Exodus 1 where they're causing us to... Um, preventing us rather from sharing the gospel like Peter and John in Acts 4 where they say no we're going to listen to God and not to you as authorities like, they've got to be extreme examples or where they're pushing beyond the bounds of what God teaches elsewhere not just where it suits our individual freedoms to get from under um, authority that's rightly over us um, having said all of that we're going to come to Luke 13 to 16 in first term next year so we're going to look at this passage in great detail on the last Sunday in March so look forward to that there'll be a podcast on it awesome well thank you so much pastors for your time and for your collective wisdom it's been great to have you you have been listening to Deeper by Wollongong Baptist Church We'd love you to join us at any of our services this coming Sunday. For details and to hear further content, please head to our website at wollongongbaptist.org.